Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in youth ministry for over 19 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we're ready to bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. We're in the home stretch of ThriveCon, and so we've got Brock Morgan with us. He's going to be one of the presenters at ThriveCon this year, and he is an in-the-trench youth worker um, who also has uh, really explored uh, Generation Z and uh, actually written on it as well. Welcome, Brock. Thanks for joining us. Man, it's so good to be with you, too. I'm excited. As a way of introduction, where where are you a youth worker? Washington, D.C. And how long have you been doing uh, youth work? Well, I have been doing youth work for about 28 years. All right. Gosh. I know. I, I will say this. I, I was greatly offended when uh, one of our students, high school girl last night, called me a boomer. I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm, I'm Gen X. Boomer? Are you? Are you? <laughs> so I, I follow you on social media, right? And, uh, and I can never tell with, uh, with some of your posts and things like that. I'm like, is he is he uh, 28 is he 48 I can I mean it's one of those things where you're like how old is this guy so you've been in youth ministry for uh 28 years now that that means that uh, my wife would say I behave like I'm 28 but uh that's, my body is behaving like it's 48 so the I think I really do think that young people anybody over like this 10 years older than them or more is a boomer like they just you're you're old you're a boomer <laughs> so as as much as Gen Z has uh I don't know, needs a better filter in regards to being able to tell age and, and generational gaps. Um, we're going to talk about uh, kind of the hope of Gen Z today. And uh, I wanted to start because they are um, kind of a dissatisfied generation. And, and you, you kind of make the argument that that's, that's where a lot of the hope draws from. So tell us what we mean by Gen Z and, uh, and, and, and just dive in. Yeah, so you read the stats. We know they're struggling I would say that there's two reasons why I feel more hopeful than I ever have before. One is, is kids are really dissatisfied with the culture. And what I mean by that is they go to schools where they are miserable. Their friends are miserable. Everybody seems miserable. Um, it doesn't mean that there's not joy and happiness in the midst of that. We don't want to do a broad stroke on what misery means, but we're talking about high levels of anxiety. Addictions uh, coming younger and younger in the lives of kids, not just screens, but um, uh, they're the most medicated generation that we've seen. The loneliest, even though they're the most connected as far as online, obviously, uh, depression, but they also are teenagers, which means they are hardwired for rebellion. And what an amazing time to rebel. And so for me, I've, I've never... I've just realized if I can just kind of point them in the right direction to aim their rebellion at, dude, I feel like we got a movement about ready Amen. to break loose. Excellent. A generation of disciples that are just ready to run towards Christ because he's better than what they've been handed. And uh, right. it's a fascinating approach because I see it as well, um, but I also see a lot of meh in them, right? Because they've been constantly disappointed by thing after thing after thing that sometimes in ministry, I see them kind of sitting there just like doing their time, like literally doing their time like they have in their schools and their, you know, in, in some of their family relationships. How do we break through that? Authenticity and honesty. We just took kids away on a retreat last weekend and we started by being honest that we all come to God with disappointment. Wow. 
all of us in this room know disappointment. We've prayed prayers that he didn't answer. Mm. Um, we've been desperate for him, and he seemed to have been nowhere. And so we all have come this weekend with a sense of disappointment. I think as youth workers, we have to understand that every kid knows deeply and personally disappointment and disappointment in God mm. because they're living in a culture and their parents are caught up in this as well. The systemic kind of pressure, our kids know firsthand this uh, disappointment after disappointment. They have to be good at everything in their lives. When I was a kid, it was okay. Math's just not your subject, Brock. That's all right. Not just you know? good. They have to be perfect. Because like <laughs> there's a difference. You know, I, I can be okay at something, but if I'm okay at something, I'm failing. Because right. I have to beat everyone else in my class you know, in order to get to college. Or I have to have all of these other things, and everything has to be perfect. Um, and that's terrifying. Right. Even as an adult, it's like, I, like having that kind of pressure would be terrifying. Well, and sometimes I think there's a helplessness that goes with that. I had lunch uh, the other day with a group of teens, and uh, one of them is number nine in her class. Like there's 500-something kids in her class, in her senior class, and she's number nine. Number nine, that's it? That's really disappointing. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I, well, she used to be. She used to be number four. Yeah, she used to be number four. <laughs> and, and here's the deal. She's experiencing so much anxiety right now because one of her oh. teachers didn't submit a grade into the system by the end of the six weeks, which means the new rankings are going to come out and she's going to be missing 15% on this one class, which is going to knock her down to number 15. And, and, and top 10 gets to sit on the stage at graduation. And so she's got to go through this whole process to hold the teacher accountable to submitting a grade on time at the right six weeks so that she stays at number nine. This is her life that she's dealing with right now. Like she should be right, right. worrying about like car insurance or something. You know what I mean? Like something that like, Car whatever like getting a vehicle or being like a, being a teenager right like she's worried about a teacher's submitting a submission of a grade like it's insane it's insane right. so yeah no it is insane and this is uh it ultimately we know as adults anyways who are daily in the lives of kids and who have made it through the teen years and me having raised kids i realized that the things that our culture i.e. our parents, our teachers, the coaches, the students, uh, have placed as king and what equals success. We know baloney. Like this stuff is this stuff is killing you. It's not that grades aren't important. We don't want her to be an amazing student, but the pressure cooker of all of these things that have that are built on things that don't last are squashing our souls as a, as a culture. Well, and I think we also need to be careful when we let them know, because I, I, I let them know. I said, hey, to the other adults that were at, the, at that lunch, I was like, when was the last time someone asked you what your high school GPA was? And like all the adults are like, it didn't matter two days after I graduated high school. Like it did not matter. And, right. But these teens, they are like chasing, or at least these specific teens are chasing after their GPA so hard that us telling them that, they were like, well, Screw you too. Like this is very important to me. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like that they, doesn't they, help. Yeah, they right. almost got hurt by it. To, for no, me no, saying no. your thing's not that important. That's not the right way to do it. So oh, that's not the right so way I, to do it. How do we disarm? How do we disarm some of these things that lead to so much anxiety in the, the life of Gen Z? We have to be honest. Like I said, we start with authenticity and honesty. We don't have to do. We don't have to do the convincing. The Holy Spirit does that. Mm. 
the Holy, we can trust. So for me as a youth worker, it begins with God, I actually trust you and I'm going to be here with kids and I'm going to be the best listener they've ever had, the best encourager they've ever known. I'm going to, uh, every time I'm with them, see the essence of ministry is creating environments where people can experience the warmth of God. And so when they are with you, they run into you at the mall, they're with you at youth group, they're with you uh, in a service, whatever it is, they experience God's warmth just by, just through you, just by bumping into you. And so it's the games we lead, the talks we give, the trips we take that creates these environments. And so we are environment creators. So I show up and I'm warm. And, and by the way, it's not even, thinking about this, it's not even holding truth and love together. The scripture is clear. Love is even more valid than truth. <laughs> like, love is king. And so we, we start with love, knowing that love will help truth become more palatable mm. for uh, when we are, when we have the open window to speak life-giving love truth. I love it. For, for our listeners out there that are chasing down the next big program or trying to find the perfect video, it doesn't matter as much. It's like that GPA thing. It's not going to be that big of a deal because at the end of the journey, right, with these youth, it's how, how much of our heart we shared with them, how much of uh, our ears we gave to them, how we listened, how we sat with them, to where all the other stuff could be okay. But if we're creating opportunities to show our authentic care for them, we've won. Like that, that's all it takes to win is just to be present to these youth. It doesn't take some sort of a weird formula or the perfect, uh, the video or, or whatever it is. Even if your worship right. team breaks a string on guitar, God can still win your night, you know, um, and win these hearts. Mm. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. It gives us a lot of freedom, Brock. It is, uh, youth ministry isn't rocket science. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, we, we, we complicate things. But again, I've never seen kids more open to the gospel than right now. I was speaking uh, not long ago at a camp, and I actually allude to the story for the conference, the online conference that's coming up. Remind me what the name of it is. <laughs> ThriveCon. That's okay. It's ThriveCon. Thrive. There yeah. it is. ThriveCon. That's right. I'm speaking. There's uh, 10,000 high school kids in this uh, arena. I walk out on stage. The lights, stage lights turn on. And I'm supposed to start in front of all these people. And I look and there's three girls at the foot of the stage weeping. Mm. So I kind of take my microphone and push it to the side. I'm like, what's going on? Like, can someone help? And these girls kind of get their composure and say, the way you've been talking about Jesus, we want to know him like that. Mm. If this is true, like I'm in, mm -hmm. I'm in, like, I don't care what it takes. Like I'm in. And what I've decided to do is I want to capitalize on the reality of their, on, of their openness, that God has been working in their hearts and minds already. I can trust him. It doesn't matter if I give the best talk I've ever given or not. He's already working in their lives. And there they are walking to the foot of the stage, walking to your office going, hey, I want in on this because this other way isn't working. And maybe I don't know if Jesus is the, but if it, if he is, I'm in. Last week, we just had our students invite. Some of you are desperate for peace. Like you haven't even, you haven't known peace forever. Some of you would never. Mm. 
your your family, you know, the homes they've grown up in, not easy. Uh, the pressure cooker of our culture, not easy. Um, there's the no escaping from a screen. This is not easy for your soul. Um, let's just ask God to give us peace. So we just sat in the stillness, in the silence, and inside I'm dying because I I am so uncomfortable <laughs> with silence. <laughs> And as a leader, I want to control the environment. It's like, oh, maybe I need to say something or like help them right now. And I just felt like I was going, dude, shut up. Mm -hmm. I got this. Yep. You just set the table. I'll feed them. Yep. Nice. All of a sudden, kids start quietly like weeping. Mm -hmm. Like I've never, I feel joy. Like I've never felt, I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I just went, let's just be still and listen to God. And I assumed that it would be like when I've been still and been frustrated, <laughs> but I just felt like I just need to be obedient here and set the table and get out of the way. And, um, youth workers, that that's what we do. We, we, we set the table We're we're tour guides pointing out things that they would have missed otherwise. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's try this. Hey, look at that. Did you notice this? And, uh, I'm seeing something. Thing, uh, and kids that I haven't seen um, in a long time. Wow. Yeah, be because now on the tour bus, they're like, that's what I've been waiting for. Like, they have this uh, built-in hunger because they've been eating junk food, and it's it's been served to them. It's not that, like, when we were kids, we went and found Gen X. We've got all these stories about the Lockheed generation, and mom and dad were both at yeah. work, and we would just find junk food on our own. But these lies, this disappointment, this shallow reality has been served to them meal after meal after meal, and they're sick of it. And some of them would rather mm. starve and, and withdraw from everything and starve as opposed to eat the junk again. And then we're showing them the bread of life. And they're like, oh, yeah. I, this is what I've been hungering for. Mm. Do you, I love do it. you ever experience the, because of that, they've been served junk from the people that they should trust for so long. Do you ever find that that actually translates over to the church where they're like, I don't, I've been, I've, I've been duped before that someone has told yeah. me that I will be happy if I do this or if I, whatever. And you're saying the same thing. I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I can believe you. Have you dealt with that? Have you seen that? Totally. Um, of course they, uh, the church uh, disappoints or they're, or they're confused by the church's stance or treatment per, or even perceived treatment of certain people that they have empathy and compassion for or that they identify as. Mm -hmm. um, there's that. And then there's uh, their own experience of, of shame and uh, a sense of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. So like they experienced God, maybe at confirmation or, uh, on a retreat or something and they go home and their lives actually haven't changed. Mm -hmm. And you do that a number of times and then you start to go, Oh, this isn't real. Yeah. Or you interpret it as I'm a screw up. Yeah. Like it's me. Wow. And then they go into the next retreat and they are like, I don't deserve to, um, I'm just going to go back and be the same old me again. Yep still have the same parents back home, the same situations. I'm still in the same uh, difficult junk. That's, I, and there's no escape. And so 
they start giving up. And, um, and so what I, what we have started doing is we've started, um, giving them a theology of suffering and there is so much confusion about one of the biggest reasons why kids conclude that there must not be a God or a personal loving, caring God is because for them, nothing changes. And that disappointment um, is overwhelming. And so when you assume that because bad things happen or I keep making bad decisions or whatever it is, then there, there isn't a loving God, well, then you miss out on the God whose name is Emmanuel, the God with us, the one who goes through the storms with us. And so we have had to reframe in very careful ways what suffering is, why it exists, and even that Jesus ultimately calls us to go through it in that it's evidence that he's alive and well versus the opposite. And so we, uh, on this retreat, our theme actually was uh, uh, called Living in Babylon, and um, it was all about this God. Who is God in the midst of really hard things? Mm. We saw the gospel come alive to these kids. And here's the crazy thing. This is how I know our retreat takes shape. On their own, they have started these like midweek Bible studies all over the place. Now, this is just like now two weeks, I guess. Two weeks, they've started their own groups. No adults are there, and they they're meeting in, at their schools. They're meeting after school. They're meeting at friends' homes, and they've started. They've realized we can't do this thing alone. Let's open our lives up to the God who is with us and let's be there with each other. And I've, it's, Oh dude, I've never been so excited in my life that these things are just emerging on their own. None of us suggested it. Wow. That's amazing. We have uh, we have a number of teens that talk about kind of the disappointment that happens after a retreat, right? After a big spiritual event. And, uh, and then it, it, you kind of come back down from the, from the mountaintop. And so they say, they say things like, you know, I really enjoyed the Jesus high that I got or, or, yeah. or things like that, and, uh, but it's gone now, and so I need another retreat. Or some of them are just like, so it's not sustainable, you know. Um, and I think it's fascinating right. that, uh, first of all, super encouraging that they're on their own being like, no, this is sustainable. We can continue these conversations. The second thing is, and we don't need, quote unquote, the experts, right? And so you on the retreat has set yourself up, and I think this is super important for Gen Z, is that they don't want someone to tell them what to think. They want someone to journey with them while they explore, right? And that's where the tour guide thing comes along, because you're exploring something together. It's not like, come on, you fools, this is how you should interpret this. Instead, on the left, you'll see something beautiful. Tell me your thoughts. Mm. And on the right, you're going to see something really painful. Tell me your thoughts. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I love that. Again, it's just real. You know, we, we, the gospel can't be delusion. Yep. You know, it can't be, oh, it's this other. And I think that's the problem with the way, dude, even me, when I was a young youth worker, I would describe following Jesus. Like if you follow Jesus, Everything's going to be great. Rainbows and puppy dogs. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> and to me, it is the best thing ever. 
but I, I just, I know it was from a place like of a, a good place in my heart. I just wanted them to know Jesus, yep. but, um, it was missing a whole other significant part of the story. And it set our kids up for failure because the cross is there. Yes. So this is a real sweet uh, topic. Like the hope of generation Z is that they are hungry for suffering. <laughs> like that's, uh, or at least uh, to, uh, for the theology of suffering. Right. And for so meaning in suffering, they are. like there's that there's meaning in suffering. That's it. And, and they don't know the meaning because it seems so meaningless. And, and every other outlet is trying to alleviate suffering. Well, if you get good grades, you can get a good job, get into a good college, and then you won't have to worry about whatever their parents are worried about, finances or um, you know job security or whatever it is. And they're like, these will alleviate that suffering. Instead, we're saying something that's completely countercultural, saying, actually, there's meaning in suffering. And that's where Christ will meet you most intimately is in the suffering. Come, explore, sit here. And the peace actually comes in the midst of the suffering as well. It's profoundly countercultural. And as we try to run away from that suffering, we're just going to find another way to suffer. Um, That's, it's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. Like you, you medicate, whether that's self-medication or whatever, um, in order to avoid the suffering, you're going to suffer in a different way. If, if you're not feeling that pain now, you're going to feel that pain in, in another way. Mm-hmm. And so the more we run from suffering, that just a different type of suffering is going to come. And so then again, that gets disappointing, right. you know, is, and that's what the world's feeding them is, is you can run from suffering by doing this. You can run from suffering by doing this, but that's a lie. You, you can't run from it. And this kind of uh, conversation is not something they hear, mm. you know? So it's, it's like a breath of fresh air. Oh, finally someone real. What if that was what Christians became known as? They're just on it. They're real. <laughs> and yet they're so full of hope. This is crazy. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> all they do is talk about suffering all the time and they do it with yeah. a smile. <laughs> Yeah. What weirdos? Yeah, what loser. <laughs> how do how do we get? Because you know, I, I Generation X is the one that's parenting Generation Z for the most part right now. Um, it's Gen Xers, and you know, how do we as uh, as as youth workers lead or as ministry leaders lead people to be empowered or equipped? Because when my children are suffering, Brock, I want to run in there and be a superhero and just pull out the yeah. stuff, you know, like when my children are fighting, I just go in there and I take the toy that they're fighting over. I, I have younger kids than, than you do. Um, but, uh, but we liked some of the same bands in high school. I just want to try and be relevant right now. <laughs> Trust me. I love it. So, um, but, but how do, how do we empower parents who, who in a lot of ways want to not, not just helicopter. I don't think that's the right way, but they want a mama bear and papa bear to protect their kids because they love their kids. They want to alleviate suffering. Yeah, we have as parents, we have to help our our children develop grit, and it's something that um, this generation is lacking. And that doesn't mean that we rescue them from a difficult interaction with a teacher. It means that we are with them and helping them process that stuff. We can't cause them to, we, we don't want them to avoid all uncomfortable. Our, comfort is the God of our culture right now. Mm-hmm. Just comfort. Mm-hmm. We want to pad our lives. 
and parents contribute to that in significant ways. We distract them. Hey, do that. You know, we do this when they're little. They start to cry and we're like, oh, don't cry, don't cry. Here's a teddy bear, here's a teddy bear. You know, we distract them from the pain. And that is, and that continues all the way up um, as they're growing older in our homes. We started a thing. For me, the future of youth ministry is helping mom and dads. And so as I've gotten older, it's been one of the ways I've stayed in the game. So youth workers will, we start out in youth ministry and then maybe in our 40s, we go do something else. And that to me is when youth ministry started getting awesome because finally mom and dads were listening yes, to me. Yes. Finally, the kids have always listened to me. I'm 48. I'm staying in front of our youth group last night. They listen to me because they know I love them. Yes. Yep. Age Age has nothing to do with it. I'm never going to age out of speaking the life of kids because they know I care for them. I'm there. I love them. But finally, I have the ear of mom and dads. So when I was a first, when I was a youth worker uh, at first, I remember leading my first parent meeting. I was 23 years yep. old, and I was so arrogant. I was basically telling, you know, you guys don't know what you're doing. Let me tell you how to parent these kids. And this mom afterwards gets up. And she walks up to me says, you know, Brock, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> exact Good words what she said wow. to me. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was the humble pie I needed. I didn't. I had no idea what I was talking about. She's like, you don't live with these people. Like, what are you talking about? You have no idea. And I didn't. And now, But now I do. And youth workers age out just when it starts getting amazing to be in partnership with mom and dad, helping them understand what their kids are going through. How to Passive parenting is not going to cut it anymore. It just doesn't cut yeah. it. You have to be proactive. You have to be thoughtful. You have to be theological. You have to be engaged and not just in their academic success, but engaged in caring for your kid's soul. How do we help mom and dads do that? And so we started a monthly gathering it happens during youth group. Other people run youth group on this night, and I go, and I'm with moms and dads. And it's a, every time. Last night we had it, and I was there for half of it, and then I went down to youth group, and our lead, our, uh, our lead pastor, he, uh, he led uh, the second half of the parent meeting, and I mean, there was 100 parents in there, and that's up from three, right, when I first yep, started. Yep. <laughs> And so, like, for us, we've just decided we need to really get into the homes, and that's through mamas and dads. Yep. Beautiful. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, excellent. So we're at time, but I want, to, I want our listeners to know, how can they find you? How can they connect with you, Brock? Um, how can they explore further? Yeah. So um, you can go to brockmorgan.com, and uh, – you, you can get my email there, follow me um, on whatever. I've, uh, the, you know, I, I was thinking, um, I wrote a book that just came out a few months ago for kids called Beautiful Rebellion. And it's all about what we're talking about this other way. Um, and um, I, uh, parishes all over the country are reading it as a youth group. And kids are, it's been amazing. I popped in on a youth group like they didn't know I was popping in just, they were all reading my book and I walked in and it was so fun 
to just pop in on these kids are like, Oh my gosh, you're the person, you're the weird person we've been reading. <laughs> and, uh, um, but, uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to start a rebellion. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. And, and, and every, and every youth worker should, every ministry leader should be thinking in right. that mentality because we have to disrupt the culture that disappoints mm-hmm. and, and the people yes. who recognize how disappointing this culture is more than any other is generation Z, the young of our, of our churches today. So, um, Wonderful. Thank you, Brock, so much for joining the show, you guys. Um, continue the conversation online. You can also hear more at, at ThriveCon coming up this Thursday. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and find us and, uh, and continue this conversation because those wrestling moments that Brock had, those stories are encouraging. Share your story as well of how you stepped out and were embraced by a generation that were finally like, yes. Yes, finally something that's not hollow. Finally something that's not shallow. Finally something that has meaning even if it also has an edge to it because it, it involves suffering, it involves hurt, it involves pain, um, and it helps the youth get some grit. I love that you use that word, grit. The, the Gen Z needs grit. So um, excellent. Great. Um, please send any feedback you have to mla at ablaze.us and share this podcast with those that you journey with. Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, you go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week and pray for Gen Z. Thanks again, Brock, and we will see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless.